All right. Hello, and welcome to a live recorded edition of Beasy Listen. That's right. As you can tell by that little screw up, I'm playing the theme song live. And I am not good at playing and talking at the same time. Honestly, I don't know if I'm all that good. When I'm when I'm not talking either, I'm really rusty. Hello, uh, welcome to Beasy Listening. Welcome to Beasy Listening. I am your host, Beasy Douglas. I am an independent journalist based in Cleveland, Ohio, and a web developer, and a musician, and actor. And um, as of this month, I can add documentary filmmaker to that list. Yay! <laughs> So, um, as, as listeners of the podcast have heard me talk about now for quite a while, I have been working on a documentary called State of Injustice, which released earlier this month. And, um, <clears throat> so let me, if you haven't heard of it, I guess I'll, I'll let me, uh, in case anyone's new here, let me break it all down for you. So, um... State of Injustice is a new documentary series that is executive produced by Black Lives Matter Cleveland, and it is taking an unflinching look at systemic abuses that are plaguing Ohio police. And we're doing this one city at a time, and the initial four-episode season is going to focus entirely on Euclid, Ohio. So uh, I am wearing a lot of hats on this production. I am the lead investigator, uh, producer. Finally found out what that means. It's basically all the things, all the things that need to get done. If you if you get them done, then you are a producer on a film. Um, art director and uh, the scrappy PR person who's just out there cold calling and trying to get the word out as, as, as uh, hard as I can and Honestly, I was feeling really good about it. I'm like, hey, I'm, I think I'm doing a pretty good job. We got some coverage in the scene. We got a great Cleveland.com write-up. I've had a lot of good responses to my cold calls. But then I realized <clears throat> I forgot to tell my podcast listening audience about the damn thing. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a bit of a fail. Um, anyway, well, better late than never. Here we are. This is the State of Injustice episode that should have probably released about 25 days ago. Um, so if you go to stateofinjustice.com, you can watch the first two episodes of our four-episode pilot season, and you can learn all about the Indiegogo campaign we launched, which is, again, you know, this is where I'm like, why, why didn't I tell you about this sooner you're uh you're a listener of my show i love you if you if you're a regular subscriber and a regular listener you're great you probably want to know about this right away and i am telling you with five days left to go in the campaign yeah again i'm gonna just uh keep 
riding myself for that PR fail right there. But it, the, the launch of this thing really all happened real fast and furious when we realized we had polished off the first episode and that the second one was basically in, in the can, uh, save for some minor changes. And we saw that, um, you know, I'm, I'm off script on this one. If you can't tell, I'm, I'm got some bullet points here in front of me, but I it, usually have a script because my mind will just go all over the place and then I will completely forget really important points that I wanted to drop. So I'm going to slow things down here for a moment. Uh, this is, this is probably the most casual I've ever been with the podcast, but I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm in, I'm in a bit of a lucid state, just like I need to get a podcast episode out to tell all of you wonderful listeners about this project. And I don't trust myself to like edit it. So I'm just like, I need to record the music and I need to get into it. And I need to tell you everything and get it done. And it's going to be great. And I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here with me. <laughs> uh, if I seem a little uh, insane, it's just because there's, I don't know, there's some weird euphoria in, in not having a script. Uh, I'm usually very like, this is what needs to be said. Good. I've written it all down. Here it goes. Okay. So State of Injustice. I've given you an overview of it, but um, if you don't know anything about the project, then you're probably someone I should talk to, you know, directly, let you know what the thing is. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and kind of give, give a history of this project because um, – when I'm doing press appearances or panel discussions that we've, you know, had for this or talking to anyone about it, like the story is, I, that I stick to is the story of the documentary, um, the, you know, the injustices and the tragedies that, that it focuses on. Um, but this is, you know, for, for me, this is really the place where I feel appropriate getting into like what the project means to me and you know personalizing it a bit uh just because you know this is this is my show so i'm i'm fine doing that elsewhere i'm not real the story's not on me um but i'm here alone it's my podcast and i want to tell you all about this project because i'm i it constant it's constantly washing over me how much how much how many feels I have over this thing kicking off and I'm really proud of it. So um, before I get into like anything else, the first thing I need to do is give a huge shout out to Roger Glenn Hill. Uh, he's a former guest. You may have heard if you're a longtime listener of the show. Uh, he's the director and editor and co-producer of this series. And without his expertise and dedication, it would have never gotten off the ground. Uh, much less sprawled into what it has become. So, um, yeah, so I'm going to get right into the story of the doc, um, like how it came to be a little behind the scenes. And then, uh, you know, I'll tell you what's in the doc, but really the best thing you can do is find 30 minutes, watch the first two episodes. It's not a huge, you know, I say, check out this documentary. I'm not like asking you to commit to a whole week's worth of binging a show. Uh, each episode is 15 minutes long, 
and um, really proud of it. And I don't think there's anything I could say that would pitch the project harder as far as um, donating to it and supporting it and amplifying the project than watching the episodes. Uh, what I can give you here is just a, a bit of the story behind it. So it all really goes back to um, the very first story that I, I wrote and got published that gave me the, you know, put the fire under my, my feet to take a leap and try journalism as, as a new career. And so that story was, uh, it's actually very relevant right now. Um, if you're not aware, there's a huge uh, a storm of controversy around the Black Lives Matter Global Network, um, basically because they've, they've been riding the Black Lives Matter name, taking in money, and it has not gotten down to any of the local chapters. It has not been used to directly help any of the people that, you know, whose names were lifted up. And that is what um, Black Lives Matter Cleveland is really, really raging about. They went live about it today uh, on their Facebook page. And um, Samaria Rice has recently just called them out. And so... <clears throat> My very first story was writing about a gentleman named Brandon Patterson, who was, you know, the kindest uh, epithet I could tie to him is a clout chaser, which is the same thing Samaria Rice is accusing the BLM uh, global, global network of being. <clears throat> so Brandon decided all on his own that he was going to throw a, a fundraiser and a barbecue party for Tamir Rice, in honor of Tamir Rice, uh, around about his birthday at the park where Tamir was killed by Timothy Lohman, uh, Cadell Park. And at this fundraiser, Brandon had, uh, he had some speakers show up but talk a little bit, but mostly people hung out, they ate barbecue, they dance the Macarena. That's not hyperbole. They literally did it. I saw footage. Uh, they had a great time and ran, Brandon, you know, had volunteers and people printing up t-shirts and the only thing Brandon didn't have was the blessing of Samaria Rice. He went around telling everybody that he and Samaria talk every night that he knows her closely and 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 they're constantly uh, uh in in contact about this fundraiser and how dare anyone question him uh because some people were questioning him uh well brandon was completely full of shit uh he just wanted to use tamir's name in order to puff himself up you know, he at one point even reached out to Samari or Samari reached out to him when she found out what he was doing. And she was not initially completely off put by it until Brandon decided uh, or Brandon asked her if she would go on MSNBC with him uh, to talk about, I don't know, whatever he wanted to talk about. And she was like, what? Who are you? Why? Um, all Brandon wanted was a nice little clip to put in his resume package of, of him on MSNBC with Samaria Rice. He didn't give a shit. Uh, 
allegedly, I guess, to protect myself. Uh, if you're listening, Brandon, uh, hi. Uh, it's, you're, it's weird if you're listening. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that was my first story, and it 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 was really heartbreaking and infuriating um, to see someone doing that. And I didn't want to just leave the viewer pissed off or, you know, with, you know, embedding more cynicism in people about the BLM movement. So I reached out to Black Lives Matter Cleveland for the resolution of that story, because at the about the same time, they had a really great Facebook post that um, I need to dig that back up again. But they're basically calling out Brandon, not by name, but saying these people are out there and you need to be wary of them. And so that was my first contact with BLM. And that's when I found out, like, you know, that's when I first started to get a glimpse into how bona fide they are. Because BLM, um, you know, unlike the Black Lives Matter global network and other uh, so-called advocates and activists, they don't hold up any victim's name unless the family is cool with it. They're not going to have some rally for Breonna Taylor's, you know, or, you know, if it's Cleveland, you know, Desmond Franklin or Tamir Rice or anyone if the family doesn't want them to. You know, when those tragedies happen, BLM Cleveland goes to them and their posture is, we're here. Whatever you need. You want to do this you need our advice we're here uh and that is not the posture of less honorable people who are in the movement i i wouldn't say they're in the movement they're on the movement they are riding on top of the movement and they are dragging it down with their bullshit so um that was my first story and that was my first connection to blm cleveland so that story alone, you know, I, I, I got when I got published, that was really thrilling. And it was just I, I, I it was hard for me to deny how much I, I wanted to stay on that path. And it was impossible for me to reconcile how I could even consider being a journalist on the side when I had like a job that required me to be, you know, attentive and available from, you know, core office hours. Even if I was working from home, I couldn't just be out off doing my own thing. I mean, it was a heavy workload and I didn't know how I was going to juggle it and do this. And COVID was happening. Trump was still in office. Biden was the nominee. And I didn't think there was a chance in hell that was going to work out, but it, just, it was bucket list time. And so I said, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm going to throw some caution to the wind. I'm going to have a little faith in the universe here, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to see if this is a, a path I should be on. And it was the scariest thing about that leap at first was just, what, what, uh, what do I do? Because <laughs> the first story really just landed. It just landed on my lap. I, I mean, there's all kinds of minutiae about how, how I came to it, but this podcast is sprawling enough right now. But the... You know, it was just there. It was a whole story. It was packaged. Um, had no problem pitching it and getting it accepted right away. So, you know, once that's done, I'm just like, well, what's next? I don't have another dunker like that. And the only thing that made sense 
you know, especially last summer with um, the swell of Black Lives Matter um, protests in the wake of the George Floyd killing was to just get out there, get on the street and, and cover everything I could. And so that's what I did. And that's what my first uh, several stories were, were really just on the ground reports, um, focusing on different facets of, of whatever happened. But um, so it was showing up and covering whatever was going on that led me to um, Lindhurst back in early July, shortly after the 4th of July. There was uh, Lindhurst is a city that's really close to my neighboring. And I saw that Black Lives Matter Cleveland co-founder Kareem Hinton was going to be speaking there and so packed up my gear went out started taping and 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 covered the rally uh that i have an article about i can link into the thing i don't want to really go into all that the important thing that happened at that rally though was afterwards i was chatting up kareem and um another activist uh, i'm in uh, regular contact with had told me that he had heard black lives matter cleveland was looking for someone to put together a, a documentary or some sort of short video piece about luke stewart he was a man who was sleeping in his car and then killed by the euclid police who showed up for like a suspicious vehicle complaint anyway that's that's we'll get into all that later if if I haven't already talked to and if you haven't heard me heard talk about Luke Stewart don't worry I'll get into him later because that's episode one but anyway so that's all I knew and so um chatting up Kareem after the the he spoke at this rally and I said hey I heard you're you're looking for someone to do this is, is you still looking for someone and he said yeah and I didn't immediately be like oh well it's something I can do I was more just well I, I know a guy who's shot documentaries and is hella down with BLM. Uh, you want me to give him a call and see if he'd be interested in helping out? Cream said, sure. And so that's when I called uh, Roger Hill. And not long after that, Roger, Kareem, and I were on a phone call, and Kareem was giving us the names of uh, everybody that we should interview in order to put together a, you know, just a piece about Luke something that his family could hold up to shine a little more light on the 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 that awful department and, and the city council to put a little more heat on them. You know, it wasn't supposed to be much more than that. Problem is that once we really got into the weeds of Luke's story, there is just no way to silo it to tell it in isolation from just how bad the whole department was because Luke was actually bookended by two rather notorious cases of abuse there was several months before Luke was the case of Lamar Wright which recently settled and we we talk about him in episode two he was pulling into a driveway to make a text, which I, I just, right off the bat, I got to say respect the hell out of that. There's, I know you probably do it because everyone fucking does it, but people texting and driving, it's insane. I can't believe it. I, I, I just <laughs> appreciate it so much that someone was pulling over to make a call or a text. Anyway, poor Lamar pulled into a, a house that apparently had some sort of reputation with the Euclid police, 
where they were tailing him and they they rushed up on him sitting in his car and 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 told him to get out of the car he didn't know what was going on he's like okay what 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 what's going on and wasn't complying fast enough and so they tased him in the body cam footage you can hear Lamar say wait wait hold on i got i got i got a a thing on i got and then he's screaming when he's getting tased what lamar was trying to say was i ha- i have a colostomy bag on as I'm recovering from surgery. He never got to say that. Instead, he was tased. He fell to the ground outside the car. The colostomy bag ruptured. He was humiliated. He was terrified. And just abused. And that happened in 2016, in the latter half of 2016, I think November, December. And then Luke Stewart... And it was killed in March of 2017. And I have recounted Luke's stories so many times, I really would just say, go watch the documentary. Honestly, I don't know how much more I should just sprawl into this um, and get into this. The hardest thing about recording anything like this solo is just not having anyone to bounce off of, even nonverbals, like checking in with someone, making sure I'm not losing the plot. Uh, cause I'm just sort of, like I said, let, letting myself go, uh, uh, free form here. And, uh, it's probably annoying to hear me keep saying that I'm uncomfortable with it or that it's weird, but I don't care. It's weird. I need to get used to it. And you have to get used to me getting used to it if you're going to be a regular listener. And I hope you will. Anyway, you know what? I'm going to just kind of run, run back here and, and hit you with, the important information and that's not the important information in the documentary it's the important information about the documentary and what we're trying to do with it so uh main thing is like i said go to stateofinjustice.com watch the first two episodes um and share them you know that's we're we're all out here on our own we don't have anyone we don't have any budget for you know promotional ads and running on facebook and stuff like that and i'm going to get into now like what what are we asking money for we we're trying to raise six thousand dollars in the indiegogo campaign well roger and i both um have considered the bulk of our time to be you know donated to this project because we believe in it and we think it's necessary and neither of us are trying to make money off of this. We're trying to, you know, at best be kept whole and and given, you know, the money allows us to put all of our focus into it instead of the things we do for money. So the, the I'd say, uh, I, I don't have the budget in front of me. I guess I could pull it up, but I'm lazy. <laughs> the... Um, the bulk of it, I'd say about uh, 3000 is going towards um, just the post-production costs, like the amount of time that we have to devote to editing and motion graphics and polishing and all that stuff. It's uh, some of the most time-consuming work um, for, especially, you know, for Roger when he's, he's, you know, really in the weeds of cobbling together hours worth of footage. You know, I God love him. 
my role in this was the, you know, the researcher. So what I had to do was just keep throwing hay on the haystack until, you know, that was full of needles. It wasn't one needle you had to find in order to put together a documentary. Um, so I know he has put in so much time on this and he's really like, I think, whittled down and being very, very, you know, sparing with the amount of hours that he's actually kind of billing for, if you consider that, that in, in the GoFundMe. Um, and that, that's also the only work that, you know, I would consider billable on the movie side of it, just because motion graphics is the one thing I'm actually, you know, professional in. I, I can do professional grade work in that. Uh, I have a lot of experience in it. All the work I've done with research and, and assistant, being an assistant to Roger and stuff like that, I feel like this, you know, this me interning or, or learning on the job. So I'm taking that as career capital. I'm not like, I don't think I should get paid for that. I'm getting paid in experience. Uh, another big portion of the budget, though, is going towards um, something else I do professionally, which is web development. And this is a really important of the pro part of the project for me because I really would like for State of Injustice to be a living document, not a static documentary that, you know, it ends and that's that's as far as it goes. I, first of all, you know, with the fact that this is a very, um, I don't know, on, on its sleeve, a very biased piece, you know, I am very much aligned with social and economic and racial justice and obviously Black Lives Matter Cleveland is. So it's really important for us to, you know, show our work. And so if anyone's questioning, you know, that we are telling the story in a, in a, in a less than honest way, you know, how we're, I, we're editing up audio depositions or footage and, and telling stories and things like that, I want the website to be a really comprehensive supplement that has all of our source material. You can find extended interviews. Uh, but the most important thing that I want on the website is for you know anyone who is moved to action by this piece, we want to have a call to action for them where they can put their time that's worthwhile um, in telling people what, what solutions need to happen. So... Um, that's that's what we're raising money for and also the i think a really big important part of you know this crowdfunding campaign is we're trying to get some momentum so that we can turn this into a, a long-form project because like i said this sprawled from just being about luke stewart to being about the entire euclid pd because there's so many things outside of you know, Luke's case, you know, with the officer who killed him, Matthew Rhodes, it wasn't just those people involved in that, you know, help you understand this, why Luke died that night. You have to look at the whole department, but you also have to look at the whole state, the way the state runs, uh, you know, its training and other systemic issues, not to mention the fact that there are many, many, many um, cities and, and police departments that are very analogous to Euclid in terms of the way the department behaves versus the demographic of the citizens that they police and the historical, you know, press, um, the historical backdrop behind all that. So 
we would really like to move next with this project to East Cleveland because I've already done, you know, gotten really close to a lot of activists in East Cleveland. I've started getting my head deep into the landscape of, of corruption that exists right now in that city. Um, and then if we can do East Cleveland, the real mountaintop will be Cleveland. And if we can pull that off, then I think we'll have proven that we are certainly capable of going to any city in this state and shining a real bright, hot light on police abuse because it needs to be done. And I, I'm, I'll be honest, the, the more I've gotten to, you know, I started networking more and getting to know journalists that are, you know, more established. They're going through, you know, they, they went to school for journalism and they went to this place and they go to this place and they work at this place and they have an editor. And man, I'm learning a lot of disturbing things about how editors will just tell journalists. You can't, yeah, no, you can't talk about that. And, and it, oh, every time I'm just like, wow, whatever inklings I had about it. Well, it'd be nice if I, I worked somewhere or something like that and had some stability. I'm so glad I'm completely independent. Um, just recently met a journalist who was profiling a killing in East Cleveland, um, following you know the family really closely for like weeks and all that. And, and for this paper that's in a neighboring county, and this kid was killed by one of the worst police in East Cleveland. I've already done a report on him, Larry McDonald. It's it's astounding that this man was still on the street, still had a badge. And so this reporter's working on this story about a victim of Larry McDonald's. And his editor tells him, you can't say anything about Larry McDonald because that's East Cleveland and we're this county paper so you can just talk about the victim and I'm sorry but that's that's fucked up I mean it especially since you can you can spell out you can give the reader a pretty comprehensive view of how bad this police officer is with a paragraph with three links in it um but more than that you know, I just think about, like, I was interviewed recently for this documentary uh, um, that should be coming out soon on a podcast called The Opperman Report. And one of the first questions uh, he had me was, so tell me about Luke, who is Luke Stewart? And I, I just basically said, like, I, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Luke Stewart is anyone who's ever slept in their car after, you know, a night. And, and just had to pull over and sleep. It doesn't matter who he was. And I don't think, you know, I mean, it matters in terms of like the tragedy and the human loss. I'm not saying like, I don't care about Luke Stewart as a person, but I'm saying in terms of addressing the tragedy, Luke did nothing wrong. And I think that is true in just about I mean, most of the cases I'm seeing. Like I I I, I don't know, the harder I've looked at more police killings, the more I just don't, I don't know, I don't have a lot of tolerance for any any victim blaming. You know, even people are like, oh, he's running from the police. In Luke Stewart's case, you know, what, what happened was he, a couple officers came up, they knocked on the window, they never identified themselves as police. Luke woke up, couldn't 
didn't know who he was dealing with and started the car and tried to drive away. And then, you know, the officers jumped in and started wrestling with him and, and fought with him to get him to stop trying to drive the car until they decided to kill him because he wouldn't stop trying to drive the car. And people might say like, oh, he should have stopped trying to drive the car. Have you ever been woken up out of a dead sleep? Much less startled? I, that's, I, that's, that's really the only question I can ask. Because if you haven't, then you don't know what you're talking about. Or if, you know, if you need, you haven't and you want to know what you're talking about, then talk to um, people who study trauma, people who study shock, people who study situations, you know, or how human beings react in situations like that. And you, there's fight, flight, or freeze. It's autonomic. You don't have a choice. And officers should fucking know that. That's, I mean, that's why I say, like, it the, it, it comes back to, like, it's, I'm done with victim blaming. It's It's always, in most cases, I think, the officers or the system that created that officer that did not train them to understand how to do things that, or that trained them to deliberately misunderstand how to do things. <sighs> I've, like I said, I have no idea what the plot in this episode is. Um, but I do want to, uh, I do want to wrap up with some, some little sentimental moment here. Um, I appreciate you know, every one of you who have who have been listening to this show for however long, it's you know, it's just been a it was a medium I, I wanted to try and I've really I've really liked it. I wish I want to do it more. I'm very spread I'm spread very thin and and, and I like to put a lot of effort into these podcasts. Um but I'm gonna try and get more out. But I I really appreciate everyone listening and you know, I'm just gonna, you know, take a little moment to say I, I just really appreciate where my life is right now because I didn't quite a bit uh, for many years as far as my career was concerned I fell into you know I fell into web development just because I knew how to do it and then I was like oh I'm doing a job oh this is fun oh cool and then you know learned about graphic design and then programming and motion design and all these all these different skills, and that was really, you know, what kind of fueled, kept, you know, fueled my fire, made me excited about the 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 career I had fallen into. But over time, you know, as my skill sets developed and there was less new things I was learning that was in skills, I only had the work, and the work was just corporate hell. You know, my clients over the years were GE and P&G, Citibank, Wells Fargo, uh, God, I can't remember which awful pharma companies, and I probably shouldn't say anyways, since they'll find out and they'll, they'll tell me I have to take it on the podcast or they'll sue me. Um, the point is, it was just soul-crushing on so many levels. It was... It was soul crushing to like see how big of a budget, just completely frivolous, inane, awful shit had. Like you know, I you know, the worst example that always comes to mind for me was I remember Crest wanted to make this f animated Flash site 
that had this, um, I don't know, some first-round draft pick of the college football team of the year that was a big deal. And they paid to have a bobblehead made of him, and then they took all these nice photographs of it, and then it went through all these art directors and creative directors, and then it came. by the time it came to me, what I had was this beautiful photos of this bobblehead of this fucking bobbleheaded guy and I had to build a site that I had to build a thing where you swipe his head and it jiggled and phrases came out of it and it was all dynamically driven and hundreds of thousands of dollars probably went into this stupid fucking thing and I don't know if they ever even like published it but I would work on this and it was so hard like the math to make the stupid bobblehead and to load in the thing and to get all the and to have to put in so much effort and thought and work into something that didn't fucking matter and be surrounded by people who weren't bothered by the fact that it didn't matter it was just oh just taking my 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 goddamn soul and 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 just wadding it up and crunching it ah. so that was just weighing me down for a long time and deep down you know and somewhere and where i kept my soul safe i i would hold on to the dream that maybe i would one day take all of these skills i was learning about building websites and all these insights i had taken in through osmosis about marketing and branding and maybe i'd be able to apply it towards something that matters and damn if i didn't realize that dream by walking away from uh web development and and advertising and all of it and i kind of you know and then realized the dream i had had for that career track by jumping into another one because um you know if you look at my patreon i have you know i make about 66 bucks a month off of that that's not paying my mortgage i'm still doing lots of freelance web development work but now uh, a lot of my web development work is actually coming from um, i've done some really great progressive candidates websites i have done um I'm working, uh, getting more work from a nonprofit client I had for a long time, and uh, most proud of all is I start. I am now like the official tech consultant, um, working with Black Lives Matter Cleveland, and so I am having regular meetings with them, trying to figure out what's the best way to make their site, and um, giving them you know advice on like well this is the the gear you need let's get a you know they want to get a podcast going and and do more live content and ah if you're just listening to the podcast i I hope you can hear my smile because i'm i'm just so happy to be doing this and they're doing such good work i mean every time i go into black lives matter cleveland it's it's always heartwarming you know i'll come in one time and they're in their house or they're having a great conference call with um some some really important you know really uh, a crucial issue and in, in, in local activists or uh you know they're getting someone uh dealing helping someone with uh, their bail you know directly intervening in people's lives and making this city better and you know if there's one thing i want to leave everybody with it's that uh black lives matter cleveland is not the Black Lives Matter Global Network. It is the antithesis of it. 
and I couldn't be more proud and honored that they have chosen to bring me into their fault to you know their circle of trust and allow me to give them everything I have to help them um, succeed in their mission to find justice for all the families in Cleveland who have suffered tragedies and to get us into a better world. And I'm, I'm so, I'm just so happy that, that that's what I'm spending my days doing now and not just helping some corporate company make a little more money off of consumers that it's trying to trick. And with that, I think uh, I'm going to go ahead and play us. Oh, I forgot. You per- I got to face the mic, don't I? I think with that, I'm going to go ahead and play us out here. Um, oh, I should probably plug the things that I meant to plug. God damn, I'm bad at this. See, this is why I'm supposed to be in a script. So, the Indiegogo campaign, it concludes on March 24th and... To, we're going out with a bang. We're going to have a streamathon. Uh, when I say we, I mean myself and Roger uh, and BLM Cleveland. We are going to be streaming from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. on the Black Lives Matter page and the State of Injustice page, all the pages I can think of. Uh, we're going to be playing the episodes at the top of the hour, like alternating between one and two, and then filling out the other 45 minutes. Uh, with panel discussions, talking with um, activists, political candidates, uh, journalists, everybody we can we can round up in the area that is doing good work. We want to talk to them about the good work they're doing on police reform and accountability. And um, I'll tell you this: we have a line, a direct line, open to Nina Turner's campaign director. And I hear that they, you know, want to get Black Lives Black Lives Matter Cleveland's endorsement. So everybody, fingers crossed, because man, Nina Turner coming onto our stream to talk about police and justice, whew, that would just be a moment I could die during. So uh, yeah, so next Wednesday. March 24th, that is your last chance to donate to the Indiegogo campaign. And I really hope that I have, I don't know, convinced you to do so, whatever this podcast was supposed to be. Um, anyway, there will be lots of links in the description that will I'll put in there to make sure to remind you of all these things, tell you where to go. In the meantime, I'm just going to... Wish that I could play and talk at the same time while I play. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you on the next podcast. Wait, I won't see you. I never see you. Whatever. You know what I meant. I love you. Ah, that was weirder.